cool. Um, so, as has been said a few times, my name is Matt. Um, I'm half Australian and half Italian. And the thing about Italians is that when, when we go over to each other's houses, we don't, we don't come in the front door. Um, we go around the back. And we don't knock on the door, we just invite ourselves in. Um, but it's not very good to do that at an Australian person's house. Um, so with that in mind, we'll, we'll start by, by going through the front door um, and by uh, acknowledging the, the traditional owners of the land that we're meeting on, um, the Wurundjeri people of the, of the Kulin Nation, and just pay our respects to, to their elders, um, past, present and emerging. Um, so I just want to start by clarifying that um, I'm not a preacher or a theologian. Um, I'm an everyday Christian. <laughs> Convenient. And so, yeah, you know, don't hold a high bar for my speaking ability. Um, but I hope that, I guess, my, the, the journey that I've been on with God is, is helpful for you guys um, in your life as well. Um, so if we go to the, the start of this story um, in Mark, um, we, we see that, a leper um, comes to Jesus, um, and, and as many as uh, as many of us may know, uh, a, a leprosy is, is a skin disease that that, that causes like boils and, and sores to be raised all over the skin. Um, but but so much more than just the physical aspects um, of what leprosy is, um, it it was it was a social there were social rules and, and regulations that that governed um, lepers and what where they could and couldn't be. Um, and so, so for a leper, he, he was not allowed to be within the temple, yeah, within the church building. Um, and at that time, God's presence was in was in the church building, was in the temple. And so, so for this leper, it, it's not just a matter of having a physical ailment, but it's also a matter of being separated from God. And, and even more than being separated from God, this this guy isn't allowed to be within the city limits. He's not allowed in, in the centre part of the city, of his community. And so this guy is removed both spiritually and, and socially from his community. And, and, and people believed back then that if you were a leper, that if you had leprosy, it was because of something awful that you had done. You, you'd committed a great sin and, and God was punishing you for that sin. And so people viewed these, these people, these lepers, as as unworthy, as disgusting, and, and they didn't want to be around them, they didn't want to be associated with them, and so these, these lepers were pushed to the, to the margins of society and, and forgotten about, much like how, how we do uh, in our lives. In our group over there, someone, someone said that, you know, there's, there's not really anyone in need um, in, in my community, and, and I wonder if it's just because we're, we're so good at, at blocking out, putting on blinders to the people in need, and, and that was definitely the case back then. Um, so, so we have this, this leper who, who's separated um, from, from his community, this guy who lives on the margins, yeah? And, and he comes up to Jesus, and it says that he comes on his, on his knees and he's begging Jesus. So, so he's lowered himself down. Yeah, he's coming before him in humility, in vulnerability to Jesus. And, and, and he asks Jesus to, to declare this guy clean. He wants Jesus to make him clean. And this request is something that only a priest could perform. Yeah, Only, only a priest could make someone clean. So this, this guy's lowering himself down and elevating Jesus and saying, if you are willing, 
Can you take on, be, be that power to declare me clean? Can you free me from these rules and regulations uh, uh, that, have, that have trapped me from, from my community and from my God? And so, so Jesus responds to this guy. And, and his first response is, is emo, an emotional response. Uh, in some translations it says, filled with compassions. In, in earlier manuscripts it says, um, he was indignant. And we'll come back to, to, to Jesus' emotional response a bit later, but, but after his, his gut response, Jesus turns to him and, and he doesn't heal him. This passage is often titled, Jesus Heals a Man with Leprosy, but, but if I was to retitle this, I, I, I would change the title because that's not what's going on. Um, Jesus reaches out and, and he touches this guy. Jesus touches the leper. And in this moment is, is a picture of, of God, of who God is in, in every way, shape and form. This, this moment is, encapsulates um, the incarnation. It encapsulates Jesus' life and ministry in one moment, in one action, that Jesus chooses to, to, to reach out to a leper, to a man who, who is cast aside, a man who is viewed as unworthy and and disgusting, and, and who is despised and tossed aside and forgotten. And as he touches him, he, he, he lowers himself down to be equal with this guy. Yeah, so as he came before Jesus, lowering himself and, and pushing Jesus up into the position of priest, Jesus' response is to, is to reach down and to come down to him. Yeah? Just as, as God took on human flesh, took on human form and came down to us, Jesus reaches across. And even more so, he, he, he makes himself vulnerable, like the other guy made himself vulnerable, because now he can contract leprosy. And more than that, if you touch a leper, you, you take on their uncleanliness. And now Jesus is not allowed to, to, to be in the temple, in the presence of God, because he's now become unclean. But, but Jesus contradicts the Levitical code, yeah, that says that he takes on the uncleanliness, and instead he bestows upon him his cleanliness. Jesus says that, that when I reach out and touch and I, and when, when you reach out and touch those on the margins, and when you make them human, when, when you take away the labels that we put on them, leper, homeless, drug addict, refugee, whatever it is, when, when, you, when you reach through those, those titles and, and, and embrace them as, as human, it, it lifts them up into equality, from separation, from marginalisation, and into, into relationship. And the significance of this is that Jesus didn't have to do this to heal the guy. Yeah? And that's why this, this passage is not about a healing. He didn't have to touch him to heal him. And, and he touches him first before he declares him clean. Um, so... <laughs> um, Because to, to declare someone clean is to encapsulate all three aspects of this man's affliction. To, to heal him physically, yes, but also socially and spiritually. To, to declare him clean is to enable him to, to move back into his community with his friends and his family and to, back, to be able to go into the presence of God, to be able to pray to his God and have connection with God. And Jesus shows this 
this over and over and over again in, in the Gospels as he reaches out and, and touches those on the margins, the, the poor and the disabled and, and the women and the children who, who are neglected and, and viewed as lesser than, who are viewed as less than human. You see, the lasting significance of Jesus' life and ministry is not that he healed the leper, it's that he loved the leper, that, that he reached out and touched the leper because nobody touched a leper. And, and so this, this story that we have here of, of God reaching, reaching across and reaching down to us is something that, that has really impacted my life. And, and so I'm going to share with you um, a, bit of, a bit of the way that this has come into being for me. And so I'll take you back to, to about 2013. Um, and, and at this time we, we had a big political debate going on that, that is still going on. And we had Tony Abbott at the height of his, his Stop the Boats campaign. And he, was, and he was talking about refugees and he turned um, these people into, into a political issue, into a political football. And, and he claimed that these, these people were, were illegal, that they, what they were doing was wrong, that, that these were economic refugees who, who were coming here to, to, to seek economic gain, to better their lives financially, and, and that the situation that they were in was of their own making and it was not our fault. They chose the life that they lived. And so as this debate was going on, I decided that I wanted to try and understand this a bit more. And so, so I was studying social work and so I started doing assignments on refugees and trying to dig into to the issues and the backstory and, and trying to understand what it was like for, for these guys. And, and soon after I started writing these assignments, I actually, I actually met someone, Brad, who's here, and, and he was visiting refugees in, in detention about 20 minutes from my place. And and I can remember the first time that I, that I went to visit and I came through, through the gate and, and went into this weird little room and, and, and sat down with, with this guy and, and started talking to him and got to know him and, and hearing his story. And, and I can remember just thinking to myself afterwards, I, I have no idea what I'm doing here, but, but I know that I have to keep coming. I have to keep visiting. And so I did. I kept visiting. And this was about six years ago and I've been visiting... Um, every week um, for, for six years, and and as I've done this, I've I've got to got to know wh quite a lot of people, and, and I'll share with you a story of, of one of my friends. We'll we'll call him Raj, and, and Raj was was born into a civil war in Sri Lanka. He 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 grew up um, with violence and 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 terrible things happening all around him. His his uncle was was killed by extremist Buddhist monks when he was just a kid. Um, the local primary school he went to was was bombed by by the government, and and, and men, particularly young men his age, were were routinely um, kidnapped by these the notorious white vans that would come around at night, and, and this was the life that that Raj was born into. And in 2009, at the at the height of the the violence in the civil war, as the government killed over 100,000 uh, Tamil civilians in 100 days. Um, Raj fled and he jumped on a boat and he arrived in Christmas Island and then he was transferred across the country multiple times until he ended up in Melbourne in Broadmeadows and that's where I met him five years after he'd, be, he'd arrived in Australia. Five years after he'd been declared a refugee, he was still held in detention. And I, and I saw as he told me his story that, that this was not a man whose, whose situation was of his own making. This... This was a guy who, who had had a hard life thrust upon him. You know, this was a man who was, who was not 
seeking economic gain. This was a man who was fleeing from torture and trauma. But more than, more than his story of heartbreak and heartache, um, I, I, got to know, I got to know him. He became my friend. Um, over, over games of rummy and, and, and over him trying to teach me how to play guitar and failing and me trying to teach him latte art and succeeding a little bit, um, we became mates. And, and, and soon, I, w I wasn't just visiting him once a week. I was, I was calling him during the week and seeing what's up. And he was calling me and playing me a song he'd learnt on guitar or, or a song that I'd sent him and, and he'd learnt and wanted to play it for me. Now, you see, before I visited, before I got to know Raj, refugees were, were a topic to be discussed. They were an issue to, to be debated about politics and theology and ethics. But, but as, I, as I got to know Raj, refugees became my friends. As we, as we reach out, as Jesus did, and, and make people who are marginalised human, as we, as we bestow upon them the, the dignity of humanity, as Jesus did when, when he touched this guy, we change issues into people and, and we see the marginalised the way that God sees them. And, and as you start to, to humanise people who are marginalised by, by our society, you start to, to, to rub up against those in power and, and the people who put them on the margins and you, and you start to, to, to get angry. And, and so we'll come back to, to that word that Jesus used, um, indignant or filled with compassion, um, when, when, when this leper approaches him. Um, the word that I think Lockie read out... Um, was filled with compassion, that Jesus was um, filled with compassion as, as this man approached him. But, but in earlier manuscripts, um, the word is indignant. And I think they changed it perhaps because they were afraid of, you know, Jesus getting angry. Why is he angry at a leper? This is, this is strange. But, but as we read further on and, and as we start to understand the, the purity code that this man was living under, we, we can see the anger that Jesus had at this man's situation, that he'd been so separated from, from God, so separated from, from his community and the way that he had been treated and viewed. <coughs> Sorry. And, and this is replicated, oh, this is, I guess, demonstrated further as, as we read um, down in, in verse 44. Um, Jesus sends him away with a strong warning and he says, See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And this last phrase here, a testimony to them, is actually better translated as a testimony against them. In, later on in Mark 6, um, Jesus uses this same phrase um, for the disciples. He says, you know, if, if a town rejects you, take your sandals off and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against that town. You see, this, this is Jesus asking this man to go before those who are in power, the priests, the highest, the religious, yeah, those who claim to represent God, and say to them, what you have done, the way that you have treated me, this is unjust. Yeah, my God doesn't see me this way. I don't need your sacrifices to, 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 to make me clean, to be in the presence of God. 
You see, Jesus doesn't just stand alongside the oppressed. He doesn't just love them and have compassion for them. He, he rises up against the oppressors and the people who put them there. And this is clear in Luke, in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Um, the first sermon Jesus gives as he, as he comes into the temple, um, he reads from Isaiah 61. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You see, this is, this is our God's mission. This is Jesus' mission as he, as he comes to us, to, to free those who are oppressed, to free those who, who our society and our religious people say are not worthy of God, to, to, to equalise them, to make them human, to come alongside them, to stand up for them and with them. And, and this is something that, that I started to learn as I became close friends with Raj. I, I started to feel in my gut that, that I cannot call myself your friend unless I, I do something about this. I cannot love you if, if I don't do something about the situation that you're in. And, and so I started writing letters to, to, to ministers and and meeting with my local MP and trying to explain his story and be like, this is what is happening for this man. How can this be? How can our, our society stand this injustice that he's ex experiencing six years in detention? And, and I went on my first protest at this time. There was, there was 30 men in, in the same situation as Raj and we walked around the CBD for, for, for 30 hours. It was the first time I'd partaken in anything political but, but for me this this wasn't political this this was a personal action yeah I wasn't I wasn't out there campaigning for, for, for some political party and, I, and I'm not campaigning for any political party now this is a deeply personal matter of justice this is a deeply personal matter about God's call on his people on the reality of life for, for my friends who live 20 minutes away locked up still Lilia Watson, uh, an Indigenous leader and activist, says that if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And this is the kind of life that Jesus calls us to. He doesn't just call us to, to love our neighbours as ourselves, to, to see those in need and have compassion. He calls us to, to stand alongside them in their oppression. To, to have our lives bound with theirs, to take on their, the injustice that they're suffering, just as, as God took on this man's uncleanliness as he touched him, as he became vulnerable for him and with him, and called him to, to stand up against the powers that be. And as we move on in this story, we see that. Um, sorry, I lost my spot. Oh, there I am. Um, we see that this man doesn't follow Jesus' direction to, to stand up to these powers. Um, in, instead, he just goes off, filled with joy, probably, at the new life that he has, that he can enter town, running through the centre of the Federation Square, telling the story of of Jesus' cleaning and healing that he's given to him. And 
And it says that Jesus is no longer able to enter the town freely. And this is for probably two reasons. Um, probably because now Jesus was too popular. You know, everyone had heard the goss and, and was, was messaging about Jesus and trying to, trying to find him where he's going to, you know, pop up next, um, like a food truck or something. And, and so he's just going to get swamped if he comes into the city. But more than that, Jesus may have been afraid of, of what the powerful may do to him. You see, by declaring this man clean, he, he'd taken on the, the right and responsibility of the, of the priest. He'd, he'd said that I declare you clean. Yeah? He took the power that the, that the priest had, that the people in the centre of town had, and, and he said, no, this guy is clean. And, and as we know later on in, in Mark, the, the, the Pharisees and that start to, to plot to kill Jesus. So this threat, this threat to power that Jesus had was very real. And so because of this, Jesus is, is cast out into the lonely places, it says, into the wilderness and into the margins where, where the leper that he'd just healed, that he'd just cleansed, used to be. And, and despite being on the margins, we, we see that the people still come out to him. A friend of mine likes to say, uh, where you stand determines what you see. And we don't have a God who, who stands at the centre of town. We have, we have a God who, who comes out and comes down to us, becomes human and comes out to the margins. You see, because when you're at the centre of town, the, the, the purity laws and the social standards that we have, they, they, they make perfect sense. But as you take a step back and you live alongside those who, who the purity laws affect, when you stand next to the leper and live life with them, then you start to see the, the injustice that these rules and regulations have. And so as I said before, um, as Jesus, Jesus incarnated and came and moved out to, to Nazareth and, and grew up there, um, last year I decided to, to move out to Brody um, and, and with the idea to, to do what Jesus does in this passage, to, to go out onto the margin to, and to build a, a Christ-centred community um, of people, and I wanted it to be a place where people on the margins could could come and find peace, find family, find friendship, uh, particularly for, for my mates who were who'd been released from detention, for these guys who who had no family, whose families were were lost or or were back home. And so, so my house is, is an open house. Um, I have uh, friends who, who who can come over any time. I, I have one friend who's got a key to my house, and and he uses it liberally. And so this means that sometimes when I come home late from a long day at work and being on the phone to DHS for an hour and a half or something and ready to, to have a good nap, there's a, there's a whole bunch of Somali guys I've never met in my living room and, and they're making me cups of tea and coffee. And what well, means that, that my friend on his, on his way home from work will often park at my house in the hopes that, that I'll be there so he doesn't have to go to the shops to buy dinner. And, and, and he'll join us. Um, and luckily for me, my, my housemate is a chef, so I don't have to cook often. <laughs> and so I guess uh, I, want, I want to leave you guys with, with a challenge. It's a challenge that, that I've tried to take on as well. Um, we, we know that, that God has a heart for the marginalised, that God loves people who, who are experiencing oppression. But my challenge to you is, 
Who are the poor and what are their names? Who are the people in your lives that we, that we talked about before? Who are the groups of people that, that we view as issues, that we, that we forget about, that we push to the side, people that we're afraid to, to engage with, to talk to or to handshake? And what are their names? What's a, what's a meaningful way that I can reach out and, and have a meaningful interaction with this person, to, to lift them up to, to equality with me, to treat them as human, to tr- treat them the way that God would, to see them in a new light? How can I humanise that person? Cool. That's all right.